Welcome to Deconstructing the Myth Season 3, a season full of conversations about how to move forward with life during and after deconstruction. Today's conversation is with an incredible and prolific writer who has been such a voice of wisdom and comfort on my own deconstruction journey. Liz Milani from The Practice Co. discusses the power of nuance, the importance of naming and unnaming things during deconstruction, and how deconstruction intersects with raising our kids well. If you're wondering what the faint background sound is, her birdies do make a guest appearance now and then. I'm so happy you're here. I was thinking about this right before I came here to talk to you. I was like, honestly, Liz doesn't know this, but you agreeing to talk to me is the reason I'm actually going to have a season three. <laughs> because oh, really? It is. wild. Yes. So my first season was interviews and it was um, for a school project. I was finishing my master's and it was Amazing. people I knew mostly. There was a few people I didn't, but mostly people I knew. And it was, I was kind of right on the cusp of, do I continue this? I really enjoy yeah. it, but it's, mm. you know, and then I don't know what it was. Some post of yours. I thought, man, I've wanted to ask her so long, but I kind of fangirl. Aww. I'm like, there's no way. Oh, there's oh no way gosh. she would agree. That's <laughs> so, wild to me. It's so, so wild. <laughs> when you did agree and then how the timeline all worked out, I was like, I guess I'm just going to have to do another season. So <laughs> it's, you're going to have to. It's a sign. It worked out. So thank you for making that happen. We can uh, we can oh say God. that's that's part of you. <laughs> so my pleasure. It's yes. wild to me that that you would say that. About it's so me true. But um, I'm so glad to be here. Of course, I want to chat yes. to you. Your work is incredible. I love how you show up on the internet and the way that you frame things and explain things. It's it's wonderful. I, I feel so very honored to be here. <laughs> well, for our guests who may not know, I know you as a writer, an author, a graphic designer, really, but uh, the creator, or uh, is it co-creator of, of The Practice Co? Is it you and your yes. husband? Is that correct? It's In the beginning, it was me and my husband, but okay. now it's mostly just me. He helps me with all the technical back-end app development side of things, Okay, um, but all the writing and the designing and everything is myself now yes so, so yeah. beautiful beautiful work and then you also opened oh, a shop you. with your friend is that correct oh gosh yes we, <laughs> we're, a bit, we're a bit um crazy over here but we have well the funny thing is when we were in ministry and we were both pastors on staff at a church uh, mm -hmm. we used to joke with each other and say if the ministry fails we'll just get into coffee Oh. which is kind of exactly <laughs> what happened. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> there we had you a go. game plan. <laughs> we had a game plan, but I mean, we left church maybe a decade ago and Jesse became a rep for a beautiful roastery, coffee roasting business company here on the Central Coast. And then he and our best mates four years ago, we opened a cafe, this little espresso bar uh, in the town where we live and then an opportunity came up last year to open another store just across the street from the cafe okay. and it's like a deli grocer homewares store which um, I've opened with my my best mate whom we opened the cafe with so we own both Aww. the businesses together and it's really beautiful because in my healing from you know all the spiritual trauma and everything all the things that I'm sure we'll talk about today mm -hmm. actual learning how to nourish my body and you know it changed my relationship with food and all of these different things happened so 
the shop is really special to me in that sense because it's all about feel-good food, uh, eating well, enjoying life, all of this sort of stuff. So it's like all my little worlds colliding. Oh, that's <laughs> I don't know so if I've neat. explained that very well. I love yes. that. So why don't you give us a little background about you, especially as far as you know, your spiritual life. This podcast focuses yeah. on, on deconstruction, which you hit, I think, a, lot, a long time before a lot of us did. <laughs> and I shouldn't say a long time, but it's really picking up speed lately. But it's tell us a little bit lately. about, yeah, where you started and where you are now and how that ties into the Practice Co. Wow, yes. Well, I grew up a pastor's kid uh, and became a pastor myself when I was 19 went to Bible college and I was like, this is it. I'm going to be a pastor. And I had dreams. I had goals. I wanted to preach all over the world. I wanted to write books, like I, all of the things, right? <laughs> and, um, <laughs> but still even, even back then when I was doing those things, I like, I'm, I'm 40 now. So when I was 19, there weren't that many women senior pastors and there weren't that many mm. women on boards in churches, even here in Australia. And, and so I was still a bit of a misfit, even all the way back then, and pushing the boundaries. Not that I would mean to, but I just, there were some things within the faith realm that I didn't jive with. And, you know, mm. so I did already from a young age find myself coming up against different things like that and, and having differences of opinions. I always had uh, friends in the LGBTQ community, you know, in high school, some of my best friends were gay and I never could be non-affirming in my mm. faith. And so even all the way back then, there were these little signs. It's interesting looking back in hindsight because I'm like, of course I've deconstructed now. Like this was always going to happen. Mm, yeah. <laughs> but when I was 28, I just had my first baby we found out my dad, who was my senior pastor and my boss, was living a double life. And mm. so he and my mum, pretty much in the space of two weeks, lost everything. They lost their friends. They lost their jobs. There was an extremely horrific divorce, which we all got tied up in. Like, it was awful. Mm. Um, and I don't know how it happens in America, but here in Australia, when a pastor when this sort of thing happens, uh, they can't work. They lose their jobs. There's no, I don't know, support or covering. Or yeah. I, don't, I don't know. They're just, they're just dropped. Mm. And that was what I experienced with my mother is she just got forgotten about by our denomination. Mm. And it was an incredibly harrowing experience. But even then with everything that we we're experiencing within my family, Jesse and I, we both worked together on staff at a church. We were like, we're going to be strong. We're going to get through this. It's all about Jesus and the kingdom, you know, like, mm -hmm. <laughs> and we didn't yeah. bat an eyelid. We didn't grieve. We didn't like, we, we had like, I don't even know how to explain it. We were going to be strong for everybody else. Yeah. Mm, and then okay. we got new pastors on at our church and we thought these pastors were pretty famous. Uh, people that we would have thought we'd love to work with, we thought would be the answer to all of our dreams and prayers. And mm -hmm. so we were really excited. We thought, this is it. Good. Okay. The dream's still alive. And within the first couple of months, we were like, this is not great. 
<laughs> and um, about two and a half years later, just through a whole, I can't even explain it, but just a whole series of events and situations, we quit. And um, we didn't realise when we quit our actual jobs that we would be leaving church. We quit our jobs and said, right, we're going to take a month off. Uh, we had two little children at the time. The kids were four and two. Mm. We're going to take a month off and we'll be back. But we don't, we're not coming back to staff, but we'll come back to church. But in that month, it was like as soon as the pressure was off to perform and be and work and uphold this structure, our lives just went, like our spirits and our hearts just went, oh, my God, we've had enough. And mm. we both deconstructed, my husband and I, in very different ways but equally shocking <laughs> okay. and um, involuntarily, you know what it's like. It's, it's like yeah. your whole world is falling apart. But I think too, after we, decon- you know, within that month, we felt all the feelings that happened with my dad and all the things that happened before that and in that and, and all the nuance of it, it just all came up because there was nothing holding that lid down anymore. Mm. So that sort of, I, I don't even know where we're up to. I've taken a bit of a long time, but that's oh. how the deconstruction started. And that was 10 years ago now. So okay. back then it was something that wasn't talked about as much. And I mean, social media wasn't like it is now. Mm-hmm. And so we felt so alone overnight. We pretty much lost all of our friends and our support network. And we didn't know where we stood with people and we were being told how disappointing we were oh, <laughs> by man. our church community and yeah. it was a lot. And then on Jesse's birthday, six months after we quit, we found the, um, what were they called? The Liturgist Podcast. Mm, and gosh. there was an episode with uh, Mike McCarg and Mike Gunger and they talked about their deconstruction experience and journey. And we sat together on our lounge candles lit glass of wine kids asleep bawling our eyes out (laughs) going we're not alone this is an actual thing like there's language we didn't even have language for it we didn't even know that what we were going through is called deconstruction Mm. and so that was really helpful at finding them and we'd started the practice co a couple of years before that in an attempt to help people connect to their spirituality midweek. One of the things we found as pastors was that people would come to church on a Sunday, they'd get a hit and then they would like struggle through their week. And there was a separation between what they were hearing and experiencing at church and what they were living midweek. And we're like, no, this should be organic. This should be holistic. So we started the practice co as a daily kind of touch point for people to check in with their spirituality and their selves uh, when they weren't in church. And of course the practice co has sort of followed our own spiritual journey as we've deconstructed, it's deconstructed and (laughs) (laughs) you know, of course it's followed a similar path, but in essence, it's the same, you know, it's the same practice. It's a daily touchstone to get in, connection with yourself with others with the earth with the divine with you know reality itself the present moment how to stay in touch with all of that and live the kind of life that we desire to live Mm, that's beautiful it's funny because you know i had pocket fuel back in the day (laughs) and i'm trying to 
to think when it was I think it I'm trying to think were you would it have been maybe 2015 was it going into 2015 and was it still pretty um kind of you know your your I don't want to say typical Christian app no but yes because I always really felt like they was so beautiful aesthetically so beautiful and the words are that way as well but I remember having this moment I I think I commented on one of your posts I stopped I I deleted the app I was like this is getting a little (laughs) too woo woo a little too new agey for me and so it's been so neat when I started the podcast it's been my podcast started I guess it's been a year already a year ago yeah but I found you again and it took a minute to realize, oh, the, these are the same people. This, this is, is the same so thing. Great. It is speaking <laughs> to me. It really, truly, I was like, wow, this speaks to me so much now. And Aww, it was very humbling because, you know, it was just so humbling for me. And in a good way to think. In you a know, good there way. There was a time where I had thought, oh, they are not uh, quite where I am, <laughs> holy wise. And then now I'm like, oh, I'm kind of, I'm kind of catching up here. I'm along for the You're ride. You're so, so great. That's a, was, I love that. I love that so yeah. much. But that's the evolution, right, of a spiritual mm, journey. Yeah. And I think it's fantastic. It's beautiful. And it actually, I kind of wanted to talk about, um, we didn't plan this, but your recent guest on the Practice Co, Joy, yes. how do you say your last name, Vetterline? I think you say Vetterline, but okay. I mess it up every time. I'm so sorry, Joy. <laughs> well, no. well, I thought that we should maybe chat about that for a minute because I was thinking once again about this. You know, you featured this writer and her post mm-hmm. was, uh, what was it? Why I'm not a Christian anymore, I think. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. And yeah. you guys, you got all these negative comments and which is funny because when I read the when I read uh, you know the Devo I still call it Devo I don't know what you call it I know I I know (laughs) when I read her piece though I was like this is very on par with everything that you post but for some reason the title of course Mm -hmm. people lose their minds and even reading even reading what she said I'm like so so for me I I would still identify as a Christian but I'm looking at and saying we're not far apart you know no she she just is it's it this is a commentary on the label exactly necessarily the internal spiritual world that the person possesses and I just it's so interesting to me though because coming from a very evangelical world you know there is such a threat perceived when someone says I'm not a Christian because you assume that means well then you're something else that's dark you know Uh and um, I just wanted to talk to you for a minute this kind of came to me on my drive over here when I'm speeding over the (laughs) snowdrifts but (laughs) it came to me I, I wanted to talk with you about the power of naming things and the power of unnaming because yes. for me in the past you know five years or so I would say I've really kind of caught on to this idea that when you name something it's a really powerful thing you can do so much when you name yeah. you know your emotions or name your whatever mm-hmm. it is naming but I have not thought much about unnaming and to me yeah. that almost seems scarier uh, it seems more like volat- volatile maybe but yeah. I don't know have you when you're writing when you are going through your own spiritual process how yeah. what is the role that naming and especially unnaming has what role does that play for you i guess <laughs> it's interesting no it's such a great question and it's it fascinates me um because i mean that post 
you've hit the nail on the head. It's the, the specific words used in the title that people are losing their minds over <laughs> because the content is awesome. The content is in line with, you know, it's, it's consistent with how I've shown up on the app and online for mm. years now. So it's nothing new, but just saying those particular bunch of words in the way that joy has said them has sparked something that I, I have found over the years. This is what happens. People don't read into the nuance. Mm. They catch these labels, they catch these names and they, they run a mile with it before investigating and before digging into it. And I used to, have fun <laughs> doing this in devotions because I don't care. I don't care. People can lose their minds. It's fine. It's actually just great for my algorithm. So great. There Bring you it go. Off. There you go. But there you go. But I would like use a roomy quote or, you know, someone that I know Christians wouldn't approve of because mm. of who they are. I'd use a quote. And if I left their name on, I would get you know, the author, the attributing author's name, if I attach that to the quote, I would get emails. I can't believe that you're, mm. you know, quoting this person and, and using their thoughts in your work. I'm so disappointed in you, all this stuff. Mm. So then I started leaving names off and like just using a quote, but not putting down who the author was. And the same type of people would email and comment and say, oh my God, that's the best quote. Wow. That this is amazing. And so I've just watched over the years how labels and naming in that sense, because I think they're two different things, naming an emotion. We'll get to this in a second. Being able to name things the way that you're talking about is really powerful. Yeah. And that has been a part of my recovery as well. But learning to not rely on a label has also been part of my recovery. I think, you know, we label things in society as a as a reference, as a way to shortcut our brain, you know, having to go through all of these different things to find out what something is. We know an apple is an apple. We don't have to think about it. We know a chair is a chair. We don't have to think about it. These labels help us categorize things in our brains mm -hmm. and um, help us use less energy so that we can use energy for other things. The problem is, uh, not all chairs are the same kind of chair mm -hmm. and not all Christians are the same kind of Christians. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes we need to use more descriptive language or we need to have a look at the chair a little bit longer. We need to have a sit in it. We need to dig into the nuance of what this thing is to be able to fully understand what it is. Mm -hmm. And I think what happens, I hope I'm explaining myself um, yes, well, but... I think what happens is what means Christian to me might mean completely different to somebody else. And especially being an Australian, we don't have such a nationalistic idea on mm. Christianity and religion as, you know, mm -hmm. you guys do. Yeah. So it, it's a little bit different even here when you talk about what a Christian is and what a Christian isn't. And and when we rely on those labels, that when beneath those labels leave so much nuance and so much story and mm -hmm. so much difference, it's no longer a shortcut to help us save energy. It's actually a way to minimize, diminish, um, ignore, uh, you know, live in, uh, rely on our biases and instead of sinking into and doing the hard work, doing the real life work of living with people and 
figuring out who they are according to how they live rather than the labels that they attach to themselves. Mm, wow. And yeah. so for me, I know for Joy, in you know, back to the post that she, the series that we posted in the app, Why I No Longer Call Myself a Christian, that's been extremely powerful for her to be able to take that label. And I'm not speaking on her behalf. This is what she says in the series. Mm to be able to remove that label from her life because she grew up in Christianity and that label had such a hold on her. So to be able to live outside of that label has been really powerful and healing for her. For me, the journey is a little bit different. I don't care so much in like in a different way that Joy doesn't care so much. Call me a Christian, don't call me a Christian. The label is almost so convoluted it's almost so complex it's almost too redundant to be able to use in any way now like Mm. for me personally because if I call myself a Christian you know the dozens of people who've commented on my posts they don't see me as a Christian Mm. and then all I'm doing is fighting over this label that doesn't mean anything in my real life life Mm, yeah (laughs) So I, I just think get to know people, get to know how people live, get to know, you know, it's so funny because to me it comes back to scripture. What's mm. the fruit of their life? Like so many people can hold this label Christian and then the mm. fruit of their life, the, the things that their life produces for themselves and for other people is mm. so far from what, you know, the teachings of Jesus would be. Um, or so far for what I interpret the teachings of Jesus to be. This is the hard thing about it too because (laughs) people throw scripture at you and they mean one thing and I mean something completely different when I use that scripture. Mm -hmm. So we just end up fighting over semantics, which Mm -hmm. is such a waste of time and not productive in the the slightest. It, it, it's not helpful. It doesn't help me be a better person. It doesn't help other people be a better person. It's just a huge distraction keeping people from living their lives in wholehearted ways. I don't know. I love, <laughs> not man. if I'm explaining myself well or not at all. I There is so. so much from that. That is very helpful, you know, because <laughs> I know for some of our listeners especially, we I, I love – I love our podcast because we have listeners really all over the spectrum and yes. I know there's going yes. to be the ones that are like, how could you ever say you're not a Christian and still, you know, yeah. they can't even fathom. And so I think that's almost yeah. a really good explanation. And I think it really stems when I think about it deeply because um, yes. there was a little glitch when I read what the uh, title was too for me, and which is it, it so, oh. kind of surprised me that there would be where I'm at. Yeah. But I was like, wait, what? And but then when you read it, of course it's it makes sense. But I think that there's still this deeply ingrained: you're mm-hmm. either in or you're out, you're yes. saved or you're not, you're yes. safe or you're not. You know. Yes. And I think we have tied that to so many labels I mean you see that used with a label like biblical well this is biblical teaching oh my god you know this is (laughs) (laughs) you know all these things and I it's a similar sort of thing it is and I just it's just so interesting because we've also I think been taught you cannot trust your intuition so if you if you think that because for me there's been times over my life and I couldn't explain it at the time when I was 
you know, much more uh, rigid in my beliefs. But I yeah. was like, I really felt like I experienced God with that person, but I couldn't because they're not, you exactly. know, they're not the same, yep. but I really mm-hmm. felt like they had something. I remember being so upset. Mm-hmm. There was this Wiccan kid in our school and he was oh. like, he was just a ball of light. And I remember oh. thinking, you know, I didn't know how to, I, I just didn't know how to be around him. I was like, yeah. Uh, would you, would you please be a Christian so we can have you on our team? It was kind of like this idea of, I recognize there's something really divine about what is happening in you, but I cannot process it if you don't have the right label. It's so wild. Yeah. It's just, it is crazy to me. And the other thing I was thinking as you were talking, I remember, this is so funny. When I was in my undergrad, I was, um, at a conservative Christian school. And I remember I was asked to do a devotional for the choir and I, I didn't know who Rob <laughs> Bell was. So I used one of his quotes. Yes, he did. Quote, I love it. The quote was, I, I think it was something along the lines of all truth is God's yeah. truth. And it fit yeah. in perfectly, you know, and this boy came up to me after and he was like, who wrote that? And he just gave me the nastiest <gasps> look. And I didn't know. It actually made me Shivers. look, it, it made me look into who Rob Bell was. I was like, what? But it also yeah. was quite ironic because of, the quote itself, all yes. truth is God's truth. Yes. That is something Christians, yes. I think, would absolutely affirm if Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, you know, but yes. it just is so interesting how our minds have trouble with, yeah. with not, I guess, non-duality, really, you know. Yes, um, it, it really does. And I, and I think it's just in this effort to know that we're safe and mm-hmm. know that we belong uh, we need these very rigid parameters. You know, if I do this, if I behave, if I uh, live up to the standard, it, it, then I am in, you know, yeah. rather than trusting the fact that we're in mm-hmm. already. Yeah. Like there's, there is nothing to live up to. I love what um, Richard Raw says. Oh God, now it slipped to my mind. There is nothing to protect there is nothing to what is he he says there's nothing to hide from there's nothing to protect i am who i am and it's enough oh wow because i think a lot of christians what ends up happening is we live this and that's what's happening in my dms and the comments at the moment it's so defensive mm-hmm. it's so overprotective it's like they've got to protect the bible they've got this all-knowing god this all-powerful god who is in all and through all and mm-hmm. whom by all things exist, who raised his son from the dead, who created the whole world. And little old Liz Milani from the central coast of New <laughs> South Wales, who has an Instagram account, is a huge threat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to... yeah. And I just think when you have to live so defensively of your place in the world and of your um, faith traditions place in the world, that's, that's not freedom. That's not confidence. That's not uh, humility. I don't know. It's not grace. It's it's like we have to protect this. Otherwise, we're not safe. And Mm. um, it's just a really interesting thing. It's funny because I remember one of my friends in high school, well, we were in uh, primary school together all the way through to high school. She was a Muslim Mm. and we got along great. But one day she took me aside at school and she asked me if I wanted to convert to Islam. Oh, wow. okay. And it was such an incredible moment for me. So it was like, oh, this is what it's like. <laughs> <laughs> on the other side. <laughs> on the other side of it. But I remember yeah. um, going back because my parents were 
obviously they were pastors in a church and I was very involved from such a young age in preaching and leading and doing all of these different things. And the offence taken at being asked if, me being asked if I wanted to be a Muslim was, it it was something else. Like how dare she ask you to be a Muslim? And I remember even back then going, hang on, uh, we do this every week. (laughs) (laughs) What's the deal? Yeah. So, you know, owning owning truth, the idea that somebody can own truth that we have the corner market on truth. It's bizarre to me now. I just think the more I know, the less I know. Like oh, the yeah. more I live and the more that I allow the idea of God to be, I did a live yesterday and at the end of it I said, I'm discovering that God is just as big as I've always been told God is. Uh, but was never allowed to experience within a faith community or faith tradition because God's really, really big as long as you don't do this, as long as you do that, as long as you believe this way, as long as you use these scriptures, as long as you don't do that, blah, 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 blah. But I'm discovering outside of that that God is actually as big as we've always thought that God was and that God is actually unattainable and unimaginable like we've always thought that God was. But the beauty of it is the mystery of God isn't because I was always taught, you know, when things would go wrong or we'd have questions around our faith, Mm -hmm. God's mysterious, you know, Mm -hmm. God's mysterious. And it was a full stop. That segment Mm -hmm. was always a full stop. God's Mm -hmm. mysterious. It was like, just believe, don't have questions because God's mysterious. We can't explain it. You just have to make peace with the fact that God's mysterious and forget about it and just move Hmm. on but the mystery of god is an invitation it's a map it's like a treasure map it sounds so cliche but it's like an invitation to discover all the ways in which god is mysterious all the ways in which the divine is threaded throughout the earth it's it's an invitation not to it's not a full stop to say don't explore Mm -hmm. it's like a it's like an invitation come and explore all the ways in which God is so big, all the ways in which the mystery reveals itself to us every day in our own bodies, in our own lives, in the fricking earth, growing mm-hmm. food for us in the ocean, in the forest in the sun in the moon. Like I just think, wow, God is actually as big as I've always been told, but I've, I've never been allowed to within those strict, rigid confines of religion being allowed to explore the bigness of it. Oh, in its wow. bigness. <laughs> I don't know how else to explain that. <laughs> I love that. Man, as you were talking, yeah. I just had this thought, you know, for so many of us, we were kind of taught the gospel is the end. Like, this is it. Yeah, We've arrived. It's and yep. it's really, you know, and I guess on the cross, Jesus says it's finished. But as we were talking, I was like, I think, I wonder if that was more in a metaphorical sense. like saying the prologue is finished now we get to begin you know and I just as when you were talking I think we especially I guess me I can speak to as evangelicals so there's so much time spent thinking on the the life death and resurrection mostly death of Christ mostly death mostly the death (laughs) and why we were so bad and why that had to happen And so much time focused on that as if that's the highest thing we can think about instead of thinking, 
okay, but what, what was the point? What now? What now? What now? You know, and, and what, what does that now? look like now? Yeah. And I yep. just, I don't know. It's really beautiful to hear you talking about that. And that, that actually ties in well to what I was, I was really hoping to talk to you about this idea yeah. of living authentically outside of faith, which is kind of a funny yeah. thing to say now that we've yes. talked about labeling faith, because to some degree, as you're talking, I'm like, it's not that you're outside of faith. It's not even no. so much potentially that faith has changed drastically for you recently or anything like that, but it's, it's, yeah. it's outside of, it sounds like outside of how you would have defined faith 10 years ago, yes. for sure. Yes. And yeah. so you started writing and, and yeah. producing this devotional um, <laughs> with the intent of helping others live authentically for God from what I have yeah. seen and that yeah. has shifted, but it also is the same. And so I just yeah. want to know what does it mean now as someone who's in the muddy, wa muddy, but beautiful waters of mystery and embracing <laughs> the not knowing, what yeah. does it mean to live authentically and even dare I say faithfully, that seems like a really Christian word, but I think it kind of yeah. pertains. Like, what does that mean now for you? Wow, it's such an interesting question. And I think, you know, before maybe uh, when I was a pastor and growing up and being in that environment, faith would have been about belief in God. Mm -hmm. I would have said faith means to have belief in God, an unwavering certainty, even though I can't prove that God exists mm -hmm. in a tangible sense. My faith is that I have this belief in God. Now I think faith is, uh, well, like I said before, it's, it's almost like faith is that invitation. Hmm. And I think we used to focus on belief, having the right beliefs, having, um, making sure our doctrines and our dogmas and our, creeds and codes were correct and our faith was the operating mechanism for those beliefs does that make sense mm. like we had to get these really beliefs right now i think it's kind of the other way around our beliefs will change our beliefs will come and go our beliefs will evolve and morph and bend and become over time mm -hmm. faith is now the thing that says to me or it's a posture that I hold myself in that says there's more going on than what I know and it's my good and holy work to explore it mm -hmm. to make myself open to it to make myself available to my life to life as it's happening around me faith is the thing that keeps me you know, when my kids ask me questions about God, faith is the thing that stops me from providing false certainties. Mm. Faith is the thing that says, if I'm honest with my kids, if I show them who I am, even if that means showing them that I don't know, that I'm unsure, that I have fear, that I'm scared, faith is the thing that says they can handle it. Faith is the thing that mm. says it's going to be okay. Faith is the thing that says there's more going on here than what I could possibly know. But if I trust, if I trust the goodness within me, if I trust the goodness that I believe is the foundational, uh, I don't know, thing of the earth, mm -hmm. <laughs> that at the earth's core is goodness and grace and love. Faith is the thing that keeps me showing up in a way that is honest and authentic. 
And our beliefs come and go, our beliefs change, and so they should as science develops, you know, as, as the new things come to light politically, as we learn. I mean, God forbid, it, I, it gobsmacks me when people say, uh, this lovely lady who's been following me for years and um, she's very disappointed in where I'm at. And I get it because, you know, I, I understand what it's like to have very rigid beliefs. She said to me, my beliefs haven't changed in 10 years and yours have. And that's how I know you're not safe because oh, wow. you keep changing and I don't. And I was like, wow, no growth in 10 years. Hmm. Like no growth in 10 years. There's been no movement in her belief system in 10 years and i'm like to that's me wild, yeah. i that's wild and that says to me like what happens when things go wrong in her life go right in her life that rub up against her beliefs like is there no movement hmm. is there no faith that there is more going on here than what i know <laughs> hmm. and that it is my good and holy work to continue to learn to being open to the fact that I don't know everything right now and something might happen down the road that teaches me new things about myself, about my kids, about life, about my purpose, about God. Like mm -hmm. that's sort of what faith is for me now. And the beliefs, because I don't have to hold so freaking tightly to them because my right standing with God, to use an old phrase, is not determined on me having the right beliefs. <laughs> then my beliefs yeah. can rise and fall. I can question them. I can doubt them. I can analyze them. I can be critically aware of the impact these beliefs have on other people and my own body and change them accordingly because I have faith that there's more going on here than what I know and that it is my good and holy work as a human to show up in uh, presence and honesty to what is happening in my life and, and the world around me. Wow. So I don't know if I have like <laughs> explained that well <laughs> or deviated from the path. I don't know. I don't know, but I love wherever we ended up. That, that was a good, <laughs> 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 like, where did we start? I don't know, but You're I, so I kind to me. I did. No, it's true. You know, and it's funny because it's funny how focused this faith, even historically, I'm thinking I haven't, I'm, I'm trying to dig back into some of my, theology training but it, there's, yeah, there's yeah. been this there's been such an emphasis on you have to believe it's it's your entrance into being safe it's your entrance yes. into being loved we say god loves you but it's not going to feel like love unless you believe the right things exactly. and you're in line and it's just something i've been thinking about is now that i've had kids i'd actually be interested yeah. to talk about kids with you for mm -hmm. a second but now that sure. i have had kids i've thought how interesting you know my kid if i were to ask my youngest what's your dad do for work well she doesn't even know who dad yeah. is I mean she she couldn't say dad she's she's working on it but she's not even there yet <laughs> she does not have she couldn't tell you his full name you know and then you get a, at different stages maybe someone would say well dad's a superhero so Aww. okay I mean I would argue yeah, of course I would argue yes but this idea <laughs> Well, that's actually not, that's not what he does for work, really, you know, and as you get older, yeah. you understand more. And then even looking at myself with my own parents, I'm like, wow, mm. I'm discovering things about you that are new now that I'm an adult. It's just this constant, now that your parents. Yeah. you know, but nowhere along the line, is there this idea, if I don't understand you correctly, if I don't understand you correctly, yeah. I am not your child or I'm not yeah. safe with you. There's none of that, but that mm -hmm. is so ingrained into how we've been taught to think about 
the resurrection and and the gospel and i just it's just been a lot to ponder and i think that that is really what is underlying a lot of the threat that you were talking about i think people think yes god's a father i accept that metaphor but i don't realize i'm subconsciously accepting that god will also only accept me as this kind of child and i i I don't know how to explain it just something i've been rolling over how if you think of it in human terms it's it's crazy like it it doesn't crazy no it doesn't and and even you know growing up uh, i had one of my best friends when i was 21 he died of brain cancer Mm. and I, it was, it was awful. And he was not a Christian in any sense of the word. (laughs) He was loose and wild and one of the best guys. And I saw him the day before he died and they, it was the most terrific thing I've ever seen in my life and I'll never forget Mm. it. And then he died the next day, which was a Sunday. And I went to church and I was obviously devastated and, Everybody was like, oh, it was just his time. Hmm. God wanted him at home with him. And it was like, and I wasn't a parent then. Obviously, I was only, you know, 20. But I was like, I can't imagine. I just can't, I can't imagine that. I can't imagine a loving God and having seen what he looked like the day before he died which I won't go into because I don't want to trigger anybody but it was it it was awful and I was like a loving God would not do this this is not the work of somebody who is calling his freaking angel home like Mm, and that it goes along the lines of that parenting situation that you were talking about when you become a parent and you um feel that this love that you have for this child and then you juxtapose that with how God is a father, how we've been taught that God is a father and how God disciplines those mm-hmm. he loves in these ways that mean hardship and peril and challenge and trauma. Mm-hmm. And it, to me, having done, let me backtrack just a sec, having gone through what I went through with my own dad, and being back in therapy now, talking with my therapist about what happened with my dad and then the spiritual abuse that I suffered uh, and the codependency with which I operated in regards to my own church experience and, and my faith, mm-hmm. what I see now happening, well, how I can name it if we go back to naming, <laughs> like mm-hmm. we talked about mm-hmm. earlier, is a lot of these church relationships, the way that we're taught to have a relationship with the church and the way that we're taught to have a relationship with God is actually the very definition of a toxic codependent relationship. Hmm. So I need to behave or God is not going to be happy with me. Hmm. And my value rests in what I contribute to Christianity how much money I give to my church, how much volunteering I do. And so these ideas are used, I don't think consciously at all, but the system in and of itself runs on a codependent mechanism Mm -hmm. of you need to behave a certain way. You're loved. Great. You're loved. Like God loves the world, right? God loves the world. That's why God decided to send his son so that 
you could experience that love because before you believe the right things, you can't experience that love. So you've got to believe the right things to experience. That's manipulation. Mm. (laughs) That's Mm. like, that's a codependent relationship. That is not the freedom that Jesus talks about. That's not the freedom of being in a equal consensual relationship even a relationship of a child and a parent where the child isn't there to serve the needs of the family Mm. which is how you know being a kid of the 90s and it's interesting that you talk about how uh the ways in which we relate to god the father is different to society even today that families don't run on that on that way but back in the 80s yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the 70s and even for my mum's generation families and discipline and even uh what's the word for it the delineation of household roles okay yeah really were reflected in how church was run and mm. how these you know relationships happened at home and in the church they were quite closely mirrored yeah. And now that we're learning new things in psychology about what smacking children does to their psyche, no judgment, anybody? Mm-hmm. I'm just like putting it out there. And what this this kind of values that we've had in our families maybe 40 or 50 years ago, there's new psychological evidence coming out about mm-hmm. how these impact, these ideas and practices can impact children in a negative sense. Yeah. Um, and so it is changing. Yeah. That is a really fair, you know, that's a fair point for sure that I think sometimes it's actually funny. I was talking to my parents about this today, but this idea that we see, we, we know what we've learned in our lifetime and we can't forget, you know, to me, sometimes it's so obvious. I'm like, of course the church doesn't like how we've been taught things doesn't represent a functioning relationship but then I forget I've only been here you know 30 years so what does that mean (laughs) like how was it before how has it all been built up before to get to this point yeah interesting so speaking to shift just a tiny bit but speaking about children I've been really interested in how your current spirituality and and faith practice how that intertwines with motherhood What's that been? Oh, like? geez. That's like a you can of You'll all be bitterly disappointed <laughs> by my findings. Um, like, I don't know. Like, it's, it's an interesting thing. If you told me 20 years ago that my kids would be growing up without church, mm-hmm. without reading their Bibles every night, without hearing stories like Noah's Ark, I'd be like, get behind me, Satan. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like um, our kids. Obviously, well, I've got two kids, 13, 11. Did I say I've got two kids? I've got three kids. 13. <laughs> the mom brain Jesus. is still going. Long. The mom brain is still. Well, then I, we, we had a child. He's four, just turned four, and he was a, a, the surprise of our lives. Aww, and I, I, I don't feel bad talking about it that way because I don't think it's talked about enough. But we were, we had our two. We were like, this is it both the kids were in school we didn't I was going through a whole health journey didn't think I could get pregnant bang Mm. got pregnant and it was like holy mother of Mm. all of the gods (laughs) um so we have this little four-year-old the four-year-old has no concept of church never been to a church at all he's never had a bible story read to him no concept 
the older two started off their schooling in a Christian school, but I pulled them out hmm. because when I was sick, I you know went through a chronic illness situation, hmm. which is a whole other story. Uh, my daughter would go to school and you know they'd have prayer requests in the classroom, and she would often because she's a deeply empathetic, beautiful kid want me to be prayed for and the mm. teacher would say if your mum just had faith she'd get better oh my so the kids she would come home and she would say mum you don't have good enough faith what are you doing you've got to have better faith then you'd get better oh, and I'm like eh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about this and oh. then they the Christian kids started to bully her because mm. we'd left church by this point and we weren't we weren't famous uh like in a big global way but we people knew of us in our church career and so us leaving was talked about a little bit I don't want to make it sound grandiose because it definitely was not but the Christian kids at school there is no bullying like Christian bullying and they Mm. would say things to my daughter like how she was going to go to hell and all of this sort of stuff and and I we just went it's this is not worth it yeah so we let our kids believe whatever they want and my eldest, who's 13, is in grade eight in high school. He's taller than me. He's just such an interesting, beautiful kid. Um, a few years ago, maybe five years ago, he said to us, I don't believe in God. God doesn't exist. It's not, I'm not interested. Mm. Don't talk to me about God, mum. I'm not interested, you know. Mm. And I've always done this spiritual work, and I, I talk about Jesus and the Bible and all of these things. And it was interesting because my programming rose up Yeah. as I was told as a kid, when you're in this house, if you're under this roof, you will believe mm-hmm. what we believe, mm-hmm. you know? Wow. And so the programming came, rose up and I felt this reactionary, no kid, you will believe what I tell you to believe. <laughs> mm, yeah. And I'm like, sure, honey, you might believe that now. There is no God. That's, that's fine. That's okay. We're, we can make room for that. And Faith told me this kid is not even 10 yet. He hasn't experienced anything of the world yet. This Mm. is not, if I put a full stop on this now, if I act like this is a full stop, it's going to become a full stop to him Mm. because I'm modeling to him. I'm teaching him not so much with my words, but the way I live, what is right and wrong, what is, you know, what to allow and what not to allow. So if I act like this is a big deal, then it's going to, concrete it in a way in him which it might not otherwise be concreted that makes Mm. sense so just let it be i let it be and we we have we talk about everything in this house from economics to politics to spirituality it's it's a little bit nauseating (laughs) and so a couple of years ago though maybe it was even only last year i put him to bed and said good night and he said to me mom you know what i think that there might be a god I was like, okay. And he said, like, I don't believe there's not a God, but I don't believe there's a God like I was taught when I went to that Christian school. (laughs) Wow. Okay. But there's something. And when you hear him talk now, it's so beautiful. We were sitting around the breakfast table the other morning and he was just, we were actually talking about reincarnation. We were talking about how everything in the world is made of the same atoms that we've always had. So we were talking about how, which is interesting. So when my body dies, 
the atoms that made my body become something else. And so we were talking about the idea that, you know, who knows what my atoms were before they were me. And maybe there are imprints in those atoms of everything that that's ever been before. And just, I loved, I sat there going, if we were in any other framework, we would be telling our children what to believe. We wouldn't be having a conversation about the possibilities of the structure of the universe. And I could see a freedom in my kid that I never had as a kid, the freedom in my kid to dream, to inquire, to question, to have this wide-eyed wonder of actual faith that I was taught, that I was taught as a kid, have this childlike faith, but only if it looks like X, Y, Z, only if it lives within these perimeters, only if you use this language. I was watching my kid actually have this wide-eyed sense of faith about how the world works Mm -hmm. and it wasn't something that crippled him (laughs) it wasn't something that was dangerous it was something that was beautiful and Mm. you know in that moment I was really thankful that we and you know when you're in this house you will believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again Mm -hmm. um there's no moralizing of beliefs there's no if you believe the wrong thing you're not accepted Otherwise, we're just creating parrots. We're not creating autonomous people with a sense of agency and critical awareness about who they are in the world that they live in. Yeah, um, That's a yeah. good point. And we could never really control their, their belief anyway. Never. But it's, it's so interesting to think about how we... Again, where does this... How, how deep does the programming go? Because it's, you know... Yeah. It's true, you... There are things even now that I, I, I'll have these moments of intense fear mm-hmm. because with my own yep. children, I even, you know, even when my son was maybe one, I yeah. was still thinking like, I'm going to be, I'm going to be, you know, like, like the dance mom of evangelical parenting. <laughs> I was like, I have got this down. I love it. And, <laughs> you know, and now, and I had, I felt like I had such a game plan because, and it had been a very beautiful experience for me, the way I was, yeah. you know, taught to think of everything through a lens of, of Bible verses and things. In some yeah. ways there were such beautiful gifts from that, but to, to say, okay, actually I have no game plan now. Like, I don't know I how I'm going to do this. I do feel like for me intrinsically, this is still the most important thing to me in some ways yeah. but I don't even know how to define this you know I don't even yeah. know how to say what this is so it's this feeling of real floundering but to hear to hear that you maybe had that moment too and let it yeah. be you just let yeah. it be and that created an environment you let it be for such you know for such precious moments to occur is I don't know that's very encouraging <laughs> to me so well, yeah. I think if I could keep on going, I think I just want to talk about it for a minute longer because I yeah, think what please. happens is, and I always had this too, so um, I'm not trying to be a guru. I'm just sharing experience in the hope that it encourages people mm-hmm. and, and reminding myself that I'm on the right path at the same time because let's be honest, <laughs> parenting is so freaking hard mm, and you never yes. know. <laughs> when you're in the moment, you don't know if you're doing the right thing or not. You don't know. Yes. <laughs> like, it is yes. all... The giantest leap of faith ever because mm-hmm. you don't see the results of your parenting for years. Um, mm, so true. You know, or just such a, it, it takes its time. Yeah. But I remember being at this Christian school, not that I have anything, my kid goes to a Catholic school now, so I'm not against religious schools at yeah. all. 
um, it was just interesting because I was in a group of mums at school pickup and we were having the mum chat, you know. And one of the mums was like, oh, my God, did you hear little Timmy? He swore today. He was saying the F word. <laughs> and it was all about what little the word little Timmy said. And I, I piped up because, I like, when I started deconstructing, swearing was like the sweet nectar of heaven. It felt so this. good <laughs> and so releasing and like there are just there are no words that can explain it like those words can and you know now that there was no policing on my language the language was free flowing <laughs> but we had a rule in our house and that was between Jesse and I because the kids were little we weren't like the kids can use all these words but we were like as long as we're not calling people swear names as long as we're not using swear words in a way that diminishes people and their experiences as long as we're using them as an outlet of our own emotions then that's fine hmm. so in this group of mums when they're like oh timmy's saying this swear word and i'm like oh what happened to timmy why was he swearing and they're like oh he fell over i'm like okay so what's the problem like he was swearing oh, it's a, oh but he yeah. fell over and yet these mums kids were the ones bullying my daughter telling her that she's going to go to hell. And I'm like, okay, there is a disconnect here. We are so focused on right behavior and we can, we can swap that out for right beliefs mm -hmm. that we're not actually looking at the heart of what is happening in our children. I don't wow. like, so now I don't care my, if my kids swear, whatever, if they're calling people swear names, if they're using swear words, it's all about the heart. It's all about the intent, right? So yeah. you can bring up a child. This was, this was like mind blowing for me because I, you know, I had no idea how it was when we quit church and it all happened. It took such a long time, but so fast in the moment, I was like, holy shit, what's going to happen to my marriage? What's going to yeah. happen to my yeah. children? Now that we don't have this faith church, such a rigid structure to hold it all together, what is going to hold it all together? Mm -hmm. And, um, but if you teach a kid how to be open hearted, yeah. If you like, instead of, if you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, teach a kid how to be compassionate, mm. teach a kid how to empathize, yeah. teach a kid how to know themselves, how to be in tune with their body, how to breathe, how to let themselves be in pain. That's a huge thing because mm. we just yeah. want kids to shut up and stop crying because it's disruptive and it's all about saving face and making people comfortable. But what if we allowed little Timmy to fall over and say the F word at the top of his lungs because he's in pain hmm. and we allowed him to connect to that pain? What will that do for his sense of self and his sense of life being, you know, the tension of good and bad, beautiful and ugly, and it is what we make it. It is how we allow ourselves to experience and be real about these things in our lives, that we can take those things and turn them into something beautiful, that we can learn from them, that we can have, you know, um, a term at the minute that's coming out is post-traumatic wisdom. How can we get kids to have that kind of a pathway rather than just teaching kids what the right beliefs are? Yeah. Mm. And so, you know, when my kid, when Sam was like my 13-year-old, when he was like, I don't believe that there's a God, I trusted him. I trusted that he at his heart 
had some goodness, right? And I'm still having to trust because, my mm-hmm. God, the stuff that comes out of that kid's mouth sometimes, I'm like, <laughs> he's either going to destroy the world or save it. Who knows? Um, there's no in between. Show our kids, there's no in between. If we show our kids that we trust them, we show our kids that they have the ability to learn rather than just stuffing things down their throat. They're going to get there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's yeah. just our job to love them. It's yeah. just our job to help them feel safe. It's our job to guide them, be a sounding board for them. Mm. I kind of think that's what God is. Like if we're talking about the mirror between parenting and children and having a God who is both mother and father and a parent mm. to their children, maybe that's what God is for us, you know, mm. someone who trusts us, someone who has faith in us somebody who has grace for us when we trip over and swear and who helps us get in touch with our pain and our joy alike you know that's so beautiful man that's so beautiful and I think (laughs) that's wild you know it almost feels like it's it almost feels like sacrilegious to think could God have faith in me (laughs) could God trust me I know you're not trustworthy you're not not trustworthy it's so interesting. But I, speaking of Richard Rohr, who you've mentioned earlier, I remember yeah. reading somewhere, you know, he talked about, I think, the two halves of life. Yeah. And how one half, I can't remember exactly what he said, but it's almost like yeah. we have to have, in order to understand, you have to have these rigid thoughts at rigid mm-hmm. boxes, perhaps. Yeah. And to really understand, you have to get out of the box. Now I'm making it my own metaphor, but I'm trying to, I can't remember exactly the No, that's what he says. It's the two halves of life. And the first half is um, more about creating a structure that you can, that you think you will find belonging in. Hmm. And so that's part of the work of the first half of life. Yeah. And the second half of life is pretty much learning to live outside of that structure. (laughs) And, and it's like, I know, (laughs) and it's the wisdom of the two halves. Right. Hmm. But I do think that, it's still true for my kids. Like they don't not have structure. Yeah, they have yeah. like the structure is it becomes love instead mm. of the creed, right? It becomes yeah. love is part of our structure. Uh, our value, it comes back to what are our values as a family? Some of the values of our family is open-mindedness, um, wholeheartedness. We tell the truth. We're kind. Uh, we try and see the good in people. We speak up. Like, so these are structures that the kids live within and like I I get it wrong I get it wrong all the time and so they're still going to have things to unravel from which is vital for their growth as well so it's sort of like the aim isn't to get it perfect the aim is to love like it's just to be there It's, it's to be safe to be a sounding board to be a friend to be somebody who can give them boundaries when they don't know how to make it for themselves so but yes the the taking down of those things is part of it yeah so oh, it's just so so ironic truly I feel like <laughs> yeah it is <laughs> anyway Liz before we go can you tell our listeners where they can find you because I think many of them will find you to be such you know a source of encouragement on their journey oh you're very kind um yes they can find me I'm mostly at the moment on Instagram Okay. at The Practice Co on Instagram, but I've got a website too, thepracticeco.com. Uh, they can find me there as well. I love that. Well, thank you for sharing your time with us today. I really appreciate you. It was a joy, Liz. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm.